We're the Denver Broncos cheerleaders, and you're listening to Sports Crunch with DCROM. This is Sports Crunch with D-Crom. I'm your host, David Cromelo. Joined, as always, by my right-hand man, Hale Bent, of full press coverage. Well, in week six, we arguably had the most consequential game of this still young season thus far, and it did not disappoint whatsoever. Once again, the Bills and Chiefs went down to the wire, and it sure seems inevitable that these two teams will meet again in the playoffs perhaps in the AFC championship and have another photo finish regardless of where they play. Doesn't it, Hal? It certainly does, David. They looked like the two best teams in football, taking nothing away from the Philadelphia Eagles who are still undefeated in the NFC, but oh, it was everything everybody hoped for. There was great offense. There was excellent defensive plays. There was drama. It it was practically a replay of the matchup in the playoffs last year. Those are two of the best teams in the NFL, and they are a delight. And I'm hoping the, you know, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, that's the uh, Peyton Manning and Tom Brady of this generation, because boy, it's just as fun watching those two go as those legends did in the past. I agree. Hopefully the football gods will treat us to one more matchup of these two teams this season. And now let's uh, recap week six, starting with our reactions. What was the biggest lesson you learned from week six, Hal? Well, you know, looking at uh, week six, I got to say, NFL teams don't hand out big money extensions when you don't need to. And I'm looking out to the desert there. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury, Kyler Murray. General Manager Steve Keim, what are we giving all that money to them for? Arizona looks like a lost franchise. If they hadn't recently handed out those huge extensions this past offseason, I'd put everybody on the hot seat out there. It's been disgraceful by the Cardinals. And to get Hopkins back and lose Brown at the same time, I mean, not much of a net game there. The desert is a disaster. Oh, very, very good point there, Hal. Cardinals do look lost indeed, and uh, they definitely uh, extended Cliff Kingsbury and Steve Kime, who's been on this job for nearly a decade, far, far too soon. Couldn't agree more. And like I said a couple weeks ago on this podcast, if there is any player not named Micah Parsons that's deserving of Defensive Player of the Year, it is Vani Bashan Miller Jr. I'm talking about Von Miller, of course, and he showed why on Sunday that he is the piece for the Buffalo Bills to go over the top this season because we didn't see these key plays from the Bills defense at Arrowhead in that divisional playoff game last season. On three consecutive drives late in the game, he made his presence felt. He tackled Patrick Mahomes on a third and long to force the Chiefs to settle for a field goal. The next drive, he sacked Patrick Mahomes, forcing the Chiefs to go on a quick three and out to give the Bills the ball back and a chance to win the game or to take the lead, and they did take the lead on that drive. And on that third drive, which turned out to be the Chiefs' final drive of the game, he forced Patrick Mahomes off his spot, which led to the game-clinching interception by Tara Johnson, 
Von Miller. I cannot think of a single player who has changed the defense more than Von Miller has changed the Bills defense this season. And that is why we have to give him a lot of love in the defensive player of the year conversation. That's all there is to it. Without a doubt, we saw his impact last year, um, you know, when he moved during the season and the impact that he had there. And again, this year, moving again um, and again, making a huge impact. Couldn't agree more, David. You said it, Hal. And now let's hand out our Goat of the Week awards for week six. I will go first here. I'm going to give my Goat of the Week to a guy who is playing his position. Are we better than anybody in this league? Even the GOAT, Aaron Donald. No offense, Aaron. But Quinnen Williams of the New York Jets. You and I both predicted that the Jets would upset the Packers at Lambeau. And the biggest reason why they did, arguably, was Quinnen Williams. Quinnen Williams, look at this. Uh, in this game, he was the second NFL player since only 2000 to register three tackles, two quarterback hits, a sack, a tackle for a loss, a forced bubble, and a blocked field goal all in a single half. This guy is almost a one-man wrecking crew on what is perhaps the deepest defensive line in football, and Quinton Williams is becoming a superstar right before our eyes. He is my go to the week. Who is your go to the week, Hal? Great choice there, David. Um, you know, he is a wrecking ball for the Jets, no doubt about it. I'll tell you, my go to the week, I, I've got to have a, a couple sharing this award. I couldn't give it to one because this was the week of the underdogs. Uh, the dogs were picking up the W's this week, and a lot of that goes to, uh, hey, coaching still matters. Teams were winning without having the most talented team on the field last week. And so I got to give a shout out to somebody I called out last week, Mr. Mike Tomlin. I've got to give a shout out to Brian Dable, Pete Carroll, Arthur Smith. Heck, I'll give one to Bill Belichick as well. They may not have had the most talented teams on their field in their matchup, but they all came out with a W, and that all started with them as the leaders of their team. So as great as the players have been this year, coaching still matters in the NFL, and those guys put it on display this past week. They most certainly did. Very good choice there. And what about your dunce of the week for week six, Hal? Well, you know, boy, I tell you, I, it's hard to find, uh, to, to call these guys dunces because I think they're two of the most respected people in football that I'm a huge fan of. Uh, John Harbaugh, Eric DaCosta of the Baltimore Ravens. But man, moving on from Don Wink Martindale, just looks worse and worse each week as yet another uh, game where a lead late in the game is lost. Uh, you know, nothing against Mike McDonald personally, very good young uh, defensive coordinator there in Baltimore, but three blown leads in the fourth quarter. And I, we know what Don Wink Martindale is doing in New York. <laughs> we <laughs> saw that they got to see it up close and personal uh, in Baltimore and saw, you know, the error of their ways, whatever their problem with was, was with him. Um, you know, it's looking like a bad move for the Ravens to, to move on from him and it's biting them already this season. 
One of those rare Baltimore Ravens front office mistakes, dare I say. And for my Dutch of the Week, I'm going to give it to two teams, especially their offenses and their punt return games. The Broncos and the Bears, they are two of the most unwatchable offenses in the National Football League this year. The Bears, you have just absolutely failed Justin Fields. Justin Fields played his heart out on Thursday night, yet he didn't have any help whatsoever. Darnell Mooney just learned how to catch a ball. You could have won the game after all if you would have not bobbled that pass. And Bayless Jones Jr., if you do not fumble that punt, the Bears win that game. And for the Broncos, oh my God, Nathaniel Hackett and Russell Wilson alike, it's just one of the biggest embarrassments I've ever seen in, in my years watching the NFL. And P.J. Lockett, Montreal, Washington, you should know that it is legal for a player to shove you into the punt returner. You should have just gotten out of the way, Montreal, Washington, and let the ball bounce. Oh, my goodness. Bears and Broncos losing in similar fashion just breaks my heart. Bears and Broncos, especially their offenses and punt returners, you get my Dutch of the Week award for week six. And six weeks into the season, it is hard to believe, but both Tom Brady's Bucks and Aaron Rodgers' Packers find themselves struggling, and I mean struggling, with each holding a record of three and three headed into week seven. And uh, the Packers obviously lost to uh, the setting Jets team, but the Bucks losing on the road to a shorthanded Steelers team without TJ Watt and Mika Fitzpatrick and several other players in that secondary, and you can only muster 18 points. That has to be very, very alarming. At least to me, it was. So my question is, Hill, which of these two teams are you more alarmed about and why? You know, I've got to say, I think I'm more alarmed with the situation in Tampa. A Green Bay, big problem for Green Bay has been, I mean, the offense, understandable, not a lot of weapons there for Aaron Rodgers, but I think Aaron Rodgers can elevate them still. The defense has been the problem for Green Bay, which has been surprising because it's talented front to back this shouldn't be a middle of the pack defense but that's what we're getting out of out of green bay so far this season when i look at tampa i you know just looking at that uh, game against pittsburgh and i'll tell you what it was was the classic problem that tom brady has had his entire career and that is pressure up the middle and pittsburgh has a wrecking ball named cam hayward and he was on fire and he ripped through that interior offensive line that the Bucks have. And yes, we know there were injuries earlier in the season and whatnot, but right now, um, Luke Gadecki doesn't look ready. Robert Hainsey isn't a starting quality center at this point. That isn't getting better. Uh, Shaq Mason, who was never a great pass blocker, always a better run blocker, is looking a step slow as well. I don't know how you improve that interior offensive line. And if you're going to keep giving pressure up the middle when Tom Brady, the uh, you know the last classic pocket pack passer of the NFL, is back there, uh, you're in big trouble. So I'm looking at Tampa as having uh, you know the bigger problem. I think Green Bay can improve that defense and bounce back this year, but Tampa is a concern. 
Oh, they are, especially with those feisty Atlanta Falcons dipping at their heels. And we cannot sleep on those Falcons at all. They showed us last week that they're going to be in it for the long run this year. I totally believe they are, especially in the weak NFC. And I'm glad you mentioned that Bucks interior offensive line because it was reported by veteran NFL reporter Jason Cole yesterday that the Bucks hope to have Ryan Jensen back sometime in November. They thought he suffered a season-ending knee injury uh, in trading camp, but it turned out it wasn't season-ending. And uh, if they get him back in November, that's a huge deal. Huge. Yes, that's what they need because they need help there. And there's not bodies you're going to pull off the waiver wire or somebody else's uh, practice squad very often that you can plug and play. Yes. Well, not only are they missing him, they miss the retired Allie Marpet right oh, now definitely. big time because Allie was one of the best guards in the entire NFL these past several seasons. And uh, it's just not the same with uh, that wall of concrete not in front of Tom Brady. I totally agree. That uh, was my first observation of the game was that the Steelers were really plaguing Tom Brady with that interior pressure, which has been his kryptonite, his lone kryptonite, yes. his entire uh, career. And the drop-off from the Bills, Eagles, and Chiefs, the three best teams in the National Football League, to the rest of the league, only became more clear last week, as I'm sure you'd agree. If there's any other team that you believe will enter the same stratosphere as those three Super Bowl contenders, which one is it? That is a tough one. Um, You know, you're looking at the other teams that are right up there record-wise. I don't believe in the Chargers. I've been saying that week after week. I believe in them less, even though they won last week. Um, just just dreadful, dreadful Chargers. Can't get out of their own way. Uh, you know, the Rams are lacking punch on offense. Seattle's defense, I don't believe in. San Francisco's banged up. Um, just talked about Tampa. I mean, Minnesota at five and one. Are they the next? I mean, I look at Minnesota and I say their offense is very good. They have some great players, but Kirk Cousins, I don't know if I believe in that. And the defense, well, you know, the defense is. They almost choked away a lead against the Bears. Yes. You know, so, I mean, it's like once you start to believe a little in Minnesota, oh, you know, I mean. They're winning, but they're they're not looking like winners. I mean, they're five and one, but I could you could tell me they should be one and five, and I would agree. You know, I mean, I just I mean, this is a team that I mean, Minnesota. I looked at their schedule. There's no way. Worst case scenario, they win eleven games this year. This team is in position to win between eleven and thirteen games. Uh, you know, just not falling down uh, on the field each week. Uh, I don't think that they're that next team, but I think record-wise they're going to. But really, I think Dallas, uh, the way that their defense plays, the way that they adapted against Philadelphia before they just got ground down at the end of the game, and and part of that is the Dallas offense without Dak Prescott. Um, I I really think Dallas is going, and, and, and I don't mean to step on the Giants, but we've been saying all year, Brian Dayball is magic. He's an incredible head coach. Yes. Um, but I don't put the Giants in that stratosphere. I don't think it's possible with that roster. But Dallas, if you bring back Dak, you have that defense. You know, the defense had probably uh, one of their worst games of the season against the Eagles, but they adapted. 
They shut them down for a big chunk of the game. Um, you know, the offense for Dallas put them in some terrible positions and the defense held up, held the Eagles to field goals uh, on two consecutive drives where they started in Dallas territory. And until they ran out of gas at the end of the game, that defense really came back. And I was very impressed with Dallas. And I think you, you, you know, the, the Cooper rush, uh, experiment is over. His flaws were exposed against a great defense. Um, but you put Dak back there, um, and Dak starts playing like he did last year. And, you know, I give Dallas a puncher's chance to be that fourth team in there, uh, with the Eagles, the bills and the chiefs. So that's simpatico. I agree. If there is any team to look for in joining the highest stratosphere of teams this year which currently only has the bills chiefs and eagles it is the dallas cowboys because you're getting Dak prescott back one of the 10 best quarterbacks in this game uh, at, at least for me one of the seven or eight best quarterbacks in this game along with that defense and the way they uh played their hearts out after falling behind 20 to nothing scoring 17 unanswered almost finding a way to win that game, but running out of gas at the end, like you said, that is a moral victory if I've ever seen a moral victory. The Cowboys proved that they belong with the Eagles uh, in the fight for that division. And uh, with Dak coming back, I think the Cowboys are only going to get more dangerous. So I completely agree there. And now it's time to play our favorite game on this program, Truth or Exaggeration. You know how this game works. I make a statement and you tell me whether you think I'm telling the truth or whether I'm exaggerating and why. And we start with the two Easts, as in the AFC East and the NFC East, because they are the two best divisions in football. Truth or exaggeration? You know, you look at the records and the way that they're playing, and, and it's got to be a truth. I mean, I would still say, you know, there's more talent in the AFC West and the NFC West, like we talked about when this season started, as uh, those are really the what we thought were the two elite conferences coming into this season. But, uh, you know, I mean, the AFC East, you go top to bottom in that division. Buffalo is the standout of the entire AFC right now. Jets, young, exciting, improving team tons of playmakers on both sides of the, the football. Uh, so much fun to watch. Miami, once they get a quarterback who can last a game, will be able to, you know, was looking like one of the most improved teams before uh, they've ran into all those concussion problems and injuries at quarterback. But, you know, once they get Tua back, they should be right back in the mix with that defense and that speed on offense. The Patriots are turning around and, and Bill Belichick's got them playing above their talent level as you, as usual. And then you go to the East uh, NFC, Philadelphia is the best team in that, in that conference. The giants are the most surprising team in the conference. We just talked about Dallas and other than, you know, and Washington, Hey, they can run Rivera can at least put up a fight uh, with that team and uh, get you into a slug mat, a slugging match. So, yeah, I mean, top to bottom, those are the best teams and even the worst teams in those divisions are the teams you don't want to play. You know, nobody wants to see them coming. Physical teams like New England, Miami, Washington, uh, those defenses come in and beat up on you. So, yeah, I've got to go with the truth there. Right now, um, they may not be the most talented, but they are the best divisions. 
Very well said, Hale. And now moving back to the Minnesota Vikings, who will win the NFC North. Truth or exaggeration? Yeah, yeah. I, I got to go with the truth here. Um, you know, uh, Detroit, oh, you know, I don't want to talk about Detroit. I thought they were, you know, going to have a great season here. Uh, Chicago, I mean, I can complain about Chicago every week if I wanted to, I think. So I won't say anything about them. Uh, Green Bay, I think they're going to get better. They're definitely going to get better on defense. Um, they've got still stuff to figure out on offense as well. That's not fixed, but uh, they're still treading water right now. And if there isn't a big improvement, I don't see them, you know, winning more than eight or nine games. And Minnesota, like I said earlier, I mean, worst case scenario, they're going to win 11 games this year. It's just, I mean, the rest of their schedule is there's too many winnable games there. Um, so they're going to win between 11 and 13 games. I look at their schedule. I just see no way that it's not going to happen. They come out of the bye with Arizona and Washington, tough game in Buffalo, Dallas. Um, but again, you, you've still got games with the Lions and the Bears, the Giants and the Colts. So it, Minnesota, yeah, I mean, they're going to win that division. I don't know if they're good enough to make noise in the playoffs. We'll see. But yeah, they're, they're on track, um, you know to win that division pretty easily. They most certainly are, and they could very well be a team that wins their division rather easily, yet goes one and done in the playoffs. Uh -huh. uh, they easily have the look of that kind of team uh, to me. And moving on to our good friend, Trevor Lawrence. And keep in mind, everybody thought that Trevor Lawrence was going to be a New York Jet for a long time in 2020 until the Jets won two meaningless games, giving that first overall pick to the Jaguars. So truth or exaggeration, if Trevor Lawrence was on the Jets, the Jets would be the third best team in the AFC right now. Yeah, I mean, that team is loaded on talent. And the only question mark for the Jets has been the quarterback position. And, and Zach Wilson has, you know, I mean, he's won games. He's, you know, at this point right now, he's come back in this season and been a glorified game manager. I mean, I, he's, he's not, I mean, he's basically back there trying not to lose the game. I mean, that's basically where he is right now with the Jets. They're saying, don't turn the ball over, get out of the way, um, you know, get the ball in the hands of a playmaker every once in a while when we need you to, but, but otherwise, yeah, I mean, the jets are winning with their defense, their special teams and their running game uh, right now. And it, it's not due to Zach Wilson. And if you had somebody with Trevor Lawrence's abilities uh, where he is right now to, you know, be able to put his team on his back for a couple of drives, Man, that would be scary, scary. So, yeah, I got to go with the truth there. Yeah, the insane young talent of the New York Jets keeps showing up week after week. And if they only had Trevor Lawrence, I can only imagine how even scarier they would be yeah. than they are right now. They're pretty damn scary. And uh, moving on to the Kansas City Chiefs. After their heartbreaking loss to the Bills last weekend, a lot of people were saying that they need one more wide receiver to put in that stable. And the Chiefs apparently agree. 
So truth or exaggeration, the Chiefs should make an aggressive push to sign Odell Beckham Jr. Oh, Odell Beckham Jr. with, with Patrick Mahomes. That's just what the Chiefs need. Yeah, I mean, the Chiefs are, you know, that we talked about it before the season started, was really concerned about that wide receiver group. And, you know, this right now is the Travis Kelsey show uh, as far as anybody catching the ball. We've seen some life out of Juju Smith-Schuster, but, you know, he's a uh, – possession receiver he's you know crossing routes across the middle that's his bread and butter on the outside you got mvs you got Mikol hardman you got speed but these guys aren't making an impact they don't have that wide receiver skill um that you know patrick mahomes needs that somebody that he can lock in on when he needs them and to, to give him that big play down the field and yeah odell beckham jr would be a perfect fit there in kansas city no doubt about it so yeah if they can work it man i would say once he's healthy or you know once he's making it clear that he's available uh put that full court press on because boy put obj back there and and line him up against buffalo again oh give me that give me that next week come on I agree there, Hal. Odell Beckham Jr. in Kansas City are a hand-in-glove fit. And on your Patriots, where Bailey Zappi is 2-0 as a starter. I don't mean to endorse QB wins, but the record is what the record says. And he has been playing very, very good football since he replaced Ryan Hoyer in that game against the Packers. And he... Uh, played a role in uh, helping uh, take Aaron Rodgers all the way to overtime, and uh, he's 2-0 and in his starts. And compare his numbers to Mac Jones' numbers so far this year. Uh, Mac Jones has completed 66% of his passes. Bailey Zappi, 72.9%. Uh, Mac Jones' touchdown-interception ratio, 2-5. to five. Bailey Zappi's, 4-1. to one. Mac Jones' passer rating, 76.2. Bailey Zappi's 111.4. So truth or exaggeration, Bailey Zappi is creating a quarterback controversy in New England. Uh, you know, I want to say kind of a half truth and half exaggeration. Um, you know, I can definitely tell you on my Twitter feed and on talk radio here in New England, there is a quarterback controversy and they are loving it and people are putting down stakes and, and uh, you know, getting ready to fight for their position for each quarterback. Um, it, <laughs> um, yes, there's a quarterback controversy already just because he's won a few games. But again, um, you know, I think in the mind of Bill Belichick and the New England coaches, you just look across at what's been going on in Dallas and, you know, all those calls for Cooper Rush to, you know, replace Dak and, you know, maybe Dallas should be trading Dak from a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> look absolutely foolish right now. And, you know, you're seeing that, you know, a young quarterback can come into the NFL, can, you know, play with poise, um, you know, not get rattled and be effective with the team working that game plan around them. And, you know, in both situations, you know, with Zappi and, and with Cooper Rush, you saw the situations there where 
you know, where they're able to play from ahead, uh, while they're able to establish that running game, uh, you know, Dallas, obviously with Zeke and, um, you know, Tony Pollard, you know, run the ball, get ahead. It makes life easier on any quarterback. Um, and, you know, when you're not in that situation, those flaws are going to get exposed. And as much as I love the Bailey Zappi experience, um, you know, <laughs> he's certainly been playing well with a lead. Um, you know, he hasn't been asked to do much. So, no, I mean, the, Mac Jones is going to get that job back inside the Patriots uh, locker room, inside the executive, you know, inside the building. There's no quarterback controversy there at all. Um, but they got to be loving what they're seeing out of their backup quarterback and feeling like, you know, um, we're in pretty good shape at that backup quarterback spot for the next few years or a nice uh, trading chip if need be. Oh, absolutely. That backup quarterback position is a top 25 roster spot, folks. Uh, the You just cannot ignore that position whatsoever because uh, there is a steep drop off from your starting quarterback to your backup. But the less you can uh, make that drop off, the far better your team is going to be. And moving on to the Dolphins, where Tyree Kill will break the single season receiving yardage record this season, which is currently held by Calvin Johnson. Truth or exaggeration? You know, if there's anybody that, you know, I would say to do it, I would say it would probably be him or Justin Jefferson, one of the two. Um, he definitely is, you know, uh, right on track and you know him and Jalen Waddle are forming a dynamic one too uh, as long as Waddle holds on to the football that is but um oh man you know I I want to say he should be pretty close he's got that 17th game can he keep that up I mean he's averaging well over 100 yards a game right now um clearly the number one clearly continues even without Patrick Mahomes to thrive um, no matter who's a quarterback for Miami. So I think Tyreek Hill, you know, I want to say, you know, well, it's a long season, guys get dinged up and stuff happens. Um, but he's got a pretty good track record so far. And I mean, we're looking at week seven here. This isn't, you know, a couple games in, this is a third of the way through that NFL season. So he's right on track. And like I said, either him or Jefferson, when somebody does it, those are the two I'm looking at who are most likely to make that impact. So yeah, I'll, I'll throw it out there. I'll give it a truth. Why not? And last but not least for truth or exaggeration this week, the winner, of Sunday's Colts-Titans game will be the eventual AFC South winner. Can I say exaggeration? Because I'm still holding out hope for Jacksonville here. It's going to turn this around a little bit. <laughs> I know three losses in a row. It doesn't look good. You know, as soon as I uh, <laughs> planted myself firmly on the Jacksonville bandwagon and said, you know, I'm not making the mistake I made with the Bengals last year and hopping off at the first sign of adversity. Um, but but boy, that seat's hot, and um, yeah, I'll, I'll give it an exaggeration. I, I, I want. I still think Jacksonville has loads of talent and is going to put themselves back into this mix. I still worry about the Colts this year. Um, I think that they're just too inconsistent. I don't think they've got the right formula there. Tennessee, I mean, 
I don't know what to say about Tennessee. You know, I mean, this team could be 0 5 right now very easily. It's the will of Mike Vrabel at this point pushing this team <laughs> forward. So, you know, I can see Tennessee winning and then just cruising the rest of the way. But, you know, <laughs> I look at the team and I'm like, you know, they're three and two. They've got a negative point differential. Like, is this a favorite for the division? Is this what it's uh, come down to here in the in the AFC South? So um, I'm going to give it an exaggeration. I'm going to say Jacksonville's still in the race, and they're going to turn this around and pull this out at the end. So uh, make it an exaggeration for me. I could definitely get on board with that, Hal. And speaking of this weekend's Colts-Titans game, let's preview that game in depth. On last week's program, I wrote off Matt Ryan as washed, but he had a career day against the Jaguars on Sunday. Not only did he surpass Dan Marino for seventh-highest career passing yardage, he threw for 389 yards on 57 attempts along with three touchdowns. What was the secret behind Matt Ryan's career day? And what do the Colts need to do in order to sustain this kind of offensive play for the rest of the season? Because before last weekend, they were very, very bad. Yeah. And, you know, really for Matt Ryan, it's protecting him up front. And I'm not sure if it's, you know, the Indianapolis offensive line had a great day or the Jacksonville pass rush uh, was reading their press clippings and forgot to show up for the week um, because, uh, you know, Indianapolis negated uh, that entire Jacksonville pass rush. The Josh Allen was nowhere to see. The Jacksonville secondary, uh, just terrible. Shaquille Griffith had his worst game of the season by far, getting picked on repeatedly. Uh, rookie linebacker Devin Lloyd got lost a few times in zone coverage, uh, allowed some conversions for first downs, and it looked like Matt Ryan was picking on him as well. So, you know, I hate to say it, but man, I don't know if it was so much what the Colts did as to what the Jacksonville Jaguars didn't do in that situation. But for Matt Ryan, number one for Indianapolis, got to keep him upright, got to keep him protected in the pocket. It's all going to start right there, especially with the injuries at running back without Jonathan Taylor back there. It's much more important. And I think for Indianapolis, you know, they didn't uh, try to... Uh, you know, make that uh, primary running game. Uh, you know, they kind of took a step back and said, hey, we're going to win this game through the air. And they went out and they did that. Um, and maybe a little bit of that philosophy change uh, caught Jacksonville a little off guard as well. So, um, for the, yeah, but for Matt Ryan, yeah, keep him upright. Rule number one there for Indianapolis, must, must do. I would definitely agree, but I will also add this. The Colts used a quick passing game last Sunday as an extension of their running game, especially without uh, Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines on the field. And one of those two or both could be back for this Sunday. But still, uh, if uh, they need to uh, pass more than run while playing from behind, uh, that uh, quick passing game, I think, is a tool that they cannot afford to abandon, especially with the issues that they have on that offensive line outside of the Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly. And uh, we could talk about this for all games in these circumstances, but I was just curious to know your opinion on this matter. How much of an advantage or disadvantage do the Titans have coming off a of bye week? Oh, for the Titans. I mean, I think it's going to be a very good advantage. I mean, um, 
you know, they certainly were winning games going into the break, uh, but, you know, they were limping to the finish line there uh, with the injuries. They desperately needed some time to get guys healthy. Um, you know, the NFL really talking about expanding games to 18, which is going to be so difficult to do uh, 18 regular season games. But my gosh, uh, you know, bring back that second bye week. I don't know why the players weren't pushing for that uh, in the last collective bargaining agreement. The NFL is going to be amenable to extending the season. We already know they want to push that as far out into February as they can get for that Super Bowl. Um, you know, really, let's let's get the Super Bowl to the um, you know, the Sunday before President's Day. That's ideal. Give everybody the day off the next day. Come on, NFL. Let's get to that point. Um, and, and really, the, the NFL players, that second bye week, um, you know, Titans looking forward to it now, but I bet in about seven or eight weeks, this physical team's going to be wishing they had another one there as well. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think perfect timing um, for Tennessee. I think they're going to come back uh, refreshed, have some guys a lot healthier than they were um, when they walked off the field against the commanders. And now let's talk about some of the key matchups that are going to decide this pivotal AFC South contest. And when you look at the Colts passing game, uh, Michael Pittman is obviously Matt Ryan's favorite target and for good reason. But if uh, the Titans bracket him, uh, he's got several other options, including three underrated tight ends in Mo Alley Cox, Kylan Granson, and rookie Jelani Woods, who is having a very, very good rookie season for a tight end by catching uh, three touchdowns so far. And uh, according to Zach Hicks, who uh, covers the Colts, uh, Matt Ryan, since week three, went targeting one of those three tight ends, is 22 of 25 for 274 yards and five touchdowns, which is good for an 88% completion rate, 10.96 yards per attempt, and a 151.92 passer rating. So those Colts tight ends against those Titans linebackers and secondary uh, is going to be uh, potentially crucial. Oh, without a doubt. And, that, you know, we saw that last week. You know, we, they started getting, um, you know, some of those tight ends involved. Branson had a bunch of catches as well. Um, worked that middle of the field against Jacksonville. Uh, even getting uh, running backs involved in the passing game as well, Deion Jackson. So that's going to put a lot of pressure on Tennessee to be able to take away that middle of the field, take away those tight ends. And uh, yeah, putting a lot of pressure on those uh, linebackers there. So, you know, David Long, Dylan Cole, uh, Monty Rice, if he's out there at all, those guys are going to have a lot of work to do uh, in that passing game in order to slow this down because those uh, Colts tight ends, they're big and they can catch the ball. And that big radius certainly is something that uh, as the season's going on, we're seeing Matt Ryan uh, appreciating that catch radius uh, each and every week uh, as the tight ends get more involved with that Indianapolis offense. And uh, when it comes to stopping the Titans, all eyes on 22, baby. Oh. Derrick Henry, who looks back to his old self, uh, and uh, the Colts, uh, for what it's worth, Shaquille Leonard returned to practice today, and if the Colts are able to get Shaquille Leonard back for this game, oh, how huge is that? Because they're going to need him and that front seven to step up big time against Derrick Henry, because if uh, Derrick Henry has another very good day against them, uh, it could be a long day. Yeah, and, and you know, 
you know, earlier in the season, we talked about Derrick Henry. He had a very slow start to the season and took him a while to hit that next level. But uh, he's looking like the Derrick Henry of old. And that means uh, that entire offense is going through Derrick Henry right now for Tennessee. And really, you look at uh, Tennessee and you're, you're looking for, you know, impact players. And you know, Robert Woods, a very nice possess- uh, possession receiver there. Um, but, you know, Traylon Burks, the rookie wide receiver, you, you put too much pressure on him. He's had injury problems. Uh, Kyle Phillips, another young wide receiver as well. Um, but, you know, again, not a lot of production there. Um, you know, I, I expected to see Austin Hooper uh, doing more at tight end for them as well, but he hasn't really been an impact player. So it's been more of a load on Derrick Henry, but he's looking healthy and especially with a week off uh, to rest and recover. I think he's going to come back even stronger. And for the Colts, like you said, uh, that front seven, that is a big big test for them uh they they know what they're getting into they see him twice a year every year and it never gets easier uh with derrick henry he is tough to take down and puts a lot of pressure on that uh colts front seven and especially uh right there in the middle deforest buckner and uh grover stewart those guys have got to step up strong Definitely Grover Stewart turning into one of the best run stuffing defensive tackles in this game uh, this season. And he's probably going to have to have the game of his life this Sunday in Music City. And who do you think comes away with a victory Sunday in Nashville? You know, I'm looking at, you know, what what do they call it? The rock fight. You know, this is going to be low scoring, uh, you know, a lot of defensive uh, hard hits. Both teams struggling to move the ball. Uh, you know, at Tennessee, coming off a bye week, Mike Vrabel, I think that gives them just enough of an advantage right there. I'm going to say Tennessee takes it a uh, very close game, 22 to 20 over the Colts. I maintain my faith in the Colts earlier in the season when they were struggling. Until that game in Denver, that ugly game in Denver that I do not want to speak of again. Uh <laughs> That game severely diminished my faith in them. But last week's performance against the Jaguars restored my faith in them. They had an excellent game plan. They have people outside of Michael Pittman stepping up in that pass game with Alec Pierce, their uh, incredible rookie wide receiver from Cincinnati and those three tight ends that we just mentioned. And they should get one of Jonathan Taylor or Naheem Hines uh, back in the fold this week. They should be able to run the ball better, even against a, a stout Tennessee Titans front. And uh, getting Shaquille Leonard back potentially will really help that defense in its quest to contain uh, Derrick Henry. I am going with the Colts in this game. And now to our game of the week, which is in San Francisco or Santa Clara to be more geographically accurate as Patrick Holmes and the Chiefs look to get off the schneid against the 49ers. And last week in Atlanta, the vaunted 49ers defense, which was absolutely decimated by injuries, their entire defensive line was second string. They absolutely struggled to stop Marcus Mariota and the Falcons. Arguably a big reason why was the absence of Nick Bosa. And in good news for the 49ers, Nick Bosa returned to practice today. However, Talanoa Hufango, who's arguably become that piece of the defense that's made it from being great to elite, he suffered a concussion last week and he did not practice today. If one of Hufango or Bosa can't get healthy in time for Sunday, do you think it could only get worse for the 49ers defense against Patrick Mahomes and company? 
Oh, definitely. Oh, definitely. They need all hands on deck facing Kansas City. There's no doubt about that. Um, you know, and, and you know, Chavarius Ward is dinged up there in that secondary as well. So there's definitely, um, you know, injuries across the board for the 49ers. It's a tough situation. Um, you know, even go on the other side too. You know, I mean, we, we'll, I'm sure we'll get to that uh, Chiefs defense and how well they played against Buffalo, probably the, the most explosive offense in the NFL. And, uh, you know, the 49ers with injuries to Trent Williams, Mike McGlinchey. I mean, that's, you don't want that when, you, when you're seeing the Chiefs uh, and that uh, Steve Spagnuolo defense coming at you the, uh, that week as well. So for the 49ers, both sides of the ball, they need to get as many healthy bodies back on the field as soon as possible, or that could end up to be a track meet that they're not able to keep up with Kansas City in. Oh, very, very good point there, which brings us to our next question. With a hobbled defense, and even if they get Nick Bosa back but don't get Talano Hufaga back, that is going to be a big loss for that 49ers defense. It's going to be a big game to get Bosa back, don't get me wrong, but uh, not having Hufanga could be devastating as well for this uh, game against Patrick Mahomes. So the question is, with a hobbled defense, how can the 49ers offense carry the load and help pull off the upset? Well, I mean, for the 49ers offense, they have to find a way to run the football. And that is why they did not win last week. You saw Jeff Wilson with that fumble early on uh, that swung that whole momentum of the game. They tried Tevin Coleman for a bit in the first half. He did absolutely nothing. Um, I, I, I went back and rechecked there as well. Um, they completely abandoned the run in the second half. I think there was one carry by a running back in the third quarter, um, barely any until garbage time in the fourth quarter as well. If San Francisco cannot play the game one-dimensional, Jimmy Garoppolo is not a quarterback who is going to put his team on his shoulders. Um, he needs that play-action passing and with the struggles they had running the football last week and the play calling, uh, you know, I mean, really, they came out in the second half and it was just all pass, 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 punt, pass, 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 punt. Um, you can't do that with that offense. They were only down by a touchdown. They were playing, calling the game like they were down by four touchdowns. So, uh, you know, we need a little bit of a better play calling there in San Francisco, Mr. Shanahan. And uh, establishing that running game against the Chiefs, because if they don't, uh, that Chiefs defense is just going to tee off on Jimmy Garoppolo and it could get very, very ugly. Very, very good point about that 49ers run game. They are going to need it, but it's not going to be easy against a Chiefs front. Uh, that includes Chris Jones. And uh, we talk about Chris Jones all the time for good reason, but we have to start talking about another guy in that Kansas City Chiefs front seven. Chris Jones sets up the linebackers to make plays in the run game, and the Chiefs have a very promising rising star at linebacker named Nick Bolton. So the 49ers uh, running game, uh, Chris Jones is a problem, but so is Nick Bolton. You have to pay attention to him too. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, guy taken in the middle of the middle of the end of the second round, they have gotten bang for their buck, and he is becoming, you know, not just a run stopper, but a playmaker for them there uh, at the linebacker position, which is the boost they definitely needed, no doubt about it. He's all over the field making plays. Uh, easy to find uh you know number 32 looks like a running back out there but uh he is that linebacker nick bolton making big plays for kansas city um yeah if if he can get in there and again do you know you saw what happened to san francisco force a turnover early stuff that running game early uh they get one dimensional it's over for him and nick bolton is somebody that could uh, play a key role in making that happen he definitely is. And we talk about Travis Kelsey on the Chiefs offensive side of the ball for good reason, because he is not only a future Hall of Famer, he might be having the best season of his career. He yeah. looks more unstoppable than ever before. But if there is one linebacker in the National Football League that I believe is capable of going <laughs> mono mano with Travis Kelsey, it is Fred Warner yeah. of the 49ers. And I am very intrigued to see how D'Amico Ryans deploys Fred Warner in this game, especially in passing situations. Yeah, without a doubt. If you've got Warner out there, uh, you know, if a Fanger is able to play and out of the concussion protocol, I mean, that's a big boost as well. Uh, you got a couple of guys who you can bracket Kelsey with and really take him out of the game uh, is going to be vital because you know he's basically been uncoverable this year you know the teams are loading up they're knowing that Travis Kelsey is the number one weapon for the Kansas City passing game you know like we talked about earlier um, you know these other wide receivers really haven't been stepping up for Kansas City and you know we need to see more out of Nicole Hardman we need to see more out of Marcus Valdez Scandling um, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster is, you know, improving a little, but he's not a number one receiver by any stretch of the imagination. He's a good two or three. Uh, rookie Sky Moore hasn't looked ready to play this year. So there's a lot, a lot of question marks there um, behind Travis Kelsey. And right now he's carrying that offense on his back. Um, so, you know, uh, Kansas City, you know, whether it's getting um, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire involved in the passing game more as an option they got to find somebody to um to take some of that load off because again san francisco like you said there's not many that can match up with them but this might be the week that we see it happen and, and that could get uh very very interesting for patrick mahomes if he doesn't have that travis kelsey uh open all day to lean on and who do you think comes away with the victory Sunday at Levi Stadium? I, I think there's just too much that has to break right for San Francisco to win or even make it a competitive game. Um, I think they're going to still be a couple guys too short as far as the health, even if the guys, uh, you know, most of these players are coming back and playing. Um, you know, they may not be at 100%, and you've got to be at 100%. You've got to be ready. I think there's just... Um, you know, too much for that Kansas City defense there for San Francisco to establish the run, take the Kansas City offense off the field for big stretches like they desperately need to do. So um, I see Kansas City pulling away 
pretty handily by a couple of touchdowns. I'll call it 30 to 16 over the 49ers. Sound the simpatico alert, Hal. I think the 49ers aren't going to get a lot of key players back healthy for this game. Yeah, if they get Bosa back, that's going to be big, but uh, uh, not having Kufanga back there potentially is going to hurt big time, especially when it comes to uh, covering Travis Kelsey because Fred Warner cannot do that uh, alone or on every play as great as he is. I like the Chiefs in this game as well. The Chiefs are one of the two or three best teams in this league for a reason. And I have faith in the 49ers. I think they win the division and make the playoffs, but it gets a little worse before it gets better. I think they drop one at home to the Chiefs. And now let's pick the rest of these week seven games starting tonight in the desert where the struggling Arizona Cardinals, who might be getting DeAndre Hopkins back tonight, uh, if they activate him for this game, he's eligible to be activated after that uh, suspension against the banged up, and I mean banged up, New Orleans Saints. They're not going to have Michael Thomas, not going to have Marshawn Lattimore, and we don't even know who's going to start a quarterback for the Saints. Get ready for another pug, fugly Thursday night game. Oh, oh my God, I could, I, I could throw up by saying that. Uh, <laughs> I am going to say that it's going to be an ugly low scoring game, but Kyler Murray somehow, some way finds a way to make a big play or two that turns out to be the difference. I like the Cardinals in a 19 to 16 game. Yeah. Uh, oh, you, you're thinking teams are going to score touchdowns here. No, 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 <laughs> David, this is Thursday night. Nobody scores touchdowns on <laughs> Thursday night. Uh, you know, battle of the field goal kickers. Yeah. I think New Orleans is going to have enough on defense to hold down Arizona just enough. Let's call it five field goals to four field goals, New Orleans, 15, Arizona, 12. Oh, that's a fair prediction as well. And moving on to Cincinnati where the Bengals after a much needed win in New Orleans host the feisty Atlanta Falcons. I was looking for an upset special and I landed on this game. The Atlanta Falcons, I don't think they're a joke at all. They have uh, talent on both sides of the ball. Uh, Kyle Pitts, Drake London, that running game on offense and on defense. They got one of the top three or five corners of the game. And A.J. Terrell, a promising rookie pass rusher, not only McKady. And we talked about Quinn Williams earlier. If there is any defensive tackle balling close to his level right now, it is Grady Jarrett. And I think Grady Jarrett and that Falcons uh, – defensive front that improved Falcons defensive front is going to create a lot of problems for that Bengals offensive line and the Bengals not having a DJ reader. This game is going to hurt against that exotic Arthur Smith running game. Give me the feisty Falcons in an upset special. <laughs> I want to pick the Falcons. I so want to pick the Falcons. Um, you know, I do just worry there might be a little too banged up you know we saw AJ Terrell get hurt in that game last week he's still questionable with a thigh injury he, you can't be a step slow against Cincinnati because again there's a reason that team was in the Super Bowl and uh, you know you just look at that those wide receivers and you go, you know, how do you cover them every single play? You've got Boyd, you've got Higgins, you've got Jamar. They just wear you down. You know, the second you take your foot off the gas, it's a 60 yard touchdown. We saw that last week with Jamar Chase. Uh, we might see that again this week. 
I'm rooting for Atlanta. I want them to win. I just, you know, my head just isn't matching my heart right here. I think Cincinnati's going to do just enough to pull out a close one. I'll call it 28 to 24 Cincinnati over Atlanta. Yeah, it should be a very, very close game in Cincinnati, regardless of the final outcome. And now the Bucks, after that absolute stinker at Acrisure Stadium in Pittsburgh, traveled to Charlotte to take on P.J. Walker and the Carolina Panthers. And if there was any such thing as a get-right game, this is it. And I do not think Tom Brady lets this opportunity go. I like the Bucks in a relatively easy, let's say, 27-10 to 10 win. Yeah, sound that simpatico alert, David. <laughs> I am right there. I had it 28 to 10 <laughs> written down here. So we're on the same wavelength there with Tampa. Um, you know, there's some good pieces on that Carolina defense. There's no doubt about it. But the one thing they don't have, um, you know, sorry to say it here, but uh, Derek Brown, Matt Ioannidis, they do not have push up the middle to take advantage of that weak interior pass blocking of Tampa. So Tom Brady should be able to stand, pick it apart, have a pretty easy win. And like you said, yeah, this is the get right kind of game uh, for Tampa this week. The Cowboys and the return of Dak Prescott going to be home in Arlington to face the Detroit Lions. And I have the Cowboys winning this game, but I think Dan Campbell and company make it close uh, through at least three quarters. But I think that Cowboys defense uh, does enough to uh, force Jared Goff into some mistakes. And uh, Dak makes a lot of the key plays that Cooper Rush could not make, even when the Cowboys were winning with Cooper Rush. I like the Cowboys 31 to 21. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think if you had asked me after the, uh, you know, the last Hard Knocks episode had aired to predict this game, I would have said coming out of a bye week, you know, biting kneecaps. Oh, yeah, I'm going with <laughs> the Lions here against the Cowboys. This is just their kind of game to go into Dallas and pull out an upset special, but uh, not so much right now. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Talent disparity. Um, you know, that Dallas defense looks fantastic. Uh, last I saw that Detroit defense uh, offense, that was a pitiful performance getting shut out. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to have to go with uh, Dallas. I've got them winning it pretty handily. I'll call it 31 to 13 over the Lions. Not only do Tom Brady and the Bucks have a potential get right game, the Packers and Aaron Rodgers have a potential get-right game as they travel to D.C. to take on Taylor Heineke and the Commanders. This uh, should be a get-right game for, for that defense because uh, Taylor Heineke, uh, a lot of people said they preferred him over Carson Wentz. That might be true, but he's still bad. Are you kidding me? He's still bad. Uh, and uh, I think the Packers will have a, a, an opportunity to get back on track on defense and Aaron Rodgers and uh, his cachet of receivers, which could include the return of Sally Watkins, uh, are going to make their fair share of big plays against a Jack Del Rio secondary. I like the Packers 23 to 13. Yeah, you know, I, Commanders are hard to get a handle on. Like I said, you know, they're the, the worst team of all of the East uh, teams right now, but they still come out and give you a fight. They, you know, nearly pulled it off against Tennessee. They 
won one of the ugliest games of the year against the Bears on Thursday night football. Um, you know, competitive against the Cowboys. Um, Should have beaten the Lions. Did beat Jacksonville. I don't know what's coming out of the commands. If, if I got an upset special, it's going to have to be this week. I hate to pile on Green Bay and Aaron <laughs> Rodgers, but this could be another ugly performance. Um, you know, th that Washington defense, there's a lot of talent on that defense, and I think it's going to get better as the season goes on. So um, let's pick this one for the upset. Tyler Heineke, five field goal drives. They're going to win without scoring a touchdown. <laughs> let's make it 15 to 13 for the Commanders. Oh, another game you predicted which the winning team only scores 50 points. It's been that kind of NFL season. And the 5-1 New York football Giants and Brian Dayball traveled to Jacksonville to take on Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars, who now find themselves at 2-4 and four and in a must-win situation. I do not mean to poo-poo the kind of season the Giants have had so far. Brian Dayball and company deserve a lot of credit. But last week, headed in the final 13 minutes, they only mustered 189 total yards oh. of offense. They needed Fortune to smile on them big time to pull off that win against the Ravens last week. And somehow, someway, that good fortune has got to stop and give the Giants a healthy dose of reality. I think it happens this week against a Jaguars team that is desperate for a win or else it could be curtains to their playoff homes. I like the Jaguars. Yeah, I'm with the I'm right with you there, David. I am as well. Uh, you know, I think the Giants record-wise look like an easy favorite, but uh, going on the road, Jacksonville, I think Jacksonville is learning their young team, they're learning some lessons. I think last week was a big learning experience for them in that Indianapolis game uh, where they expected that defense to just go in and shut them down after as, imp as impressive as they were uh, in week two at home against the Colts when they shut them out. Um, you know, I think they learned the lesson. You got to go out and play 60 minutes each and every week. And this will be the first week we get to see them put that on display. Um, so they got a nice little home stretch here. Uh, coming up. So uh, for Jacksonville, yeah, I think they're going to be able to pull it out. I know the Giants are going to make it a, a tough game, but I'll give it to Jacksonville 24 to 21. Another simpatico alert has to be sounded, Hal. Beep, 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 beep. We yep, got we're, it. we're both going with the Jaguars over the New York football Giants. Said the new Browns at the old Browns, is in the Browns at the Ravens. A classic uh, AFC North showdown and uh, the Ravens, uh, a, a third blown lead. They are just underachieving this year, man. That is all there is to it. But I think they get back on track this week. The uh, Browns are going to be without Wyatt Teller, one of the key ingredients to that running game. And uh, that the Ravens uh, do have the bodies, even an old Calais Campbell could still play the run very well. To slow down Nick Chubb in that offense and uh, leave Jacoby Brissett to beat them. I don't even think Jacoby Brissett could beat this Ravens defense. I like the Ravens. Yeah, I mean, I, it's looking like a Ravens win here. I mean, Baltimore, um, you know, unless they're going to come out and just pound Chubb constantly and just say, we're going to give him the ball 25 times this game, no matter what. We don't care what the score is. 
um, which probably should be their offensive philosophy, but <laughs> I don't think they're going to be smart enough to do that. I've got Baltimore pretty easy win. I'll make it 30 to 10 over Cleveland. Oh yeah. We cannot forget about the Browns and that defense. Oh my God. They're Ooh. playing horrible too. Yeah. I mean, so much talent on this Browns team. And you look yeah. at them as one of those. Joe most- Woods, ladies and oh. gentlemen, Joe Woods shouldn't be in a job any longer. That's all there is to it. And the New York J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 after that upset went over the Packers, traveled to Denver to take on the reeling Broncos and a hobbled Russell Wilson. Give me the Jets in a shutout and please rest Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson needs time to rest. He needs time to uh, reset his mind and reevaluate where he's at in his career right now. That is the best possible long-term move the Broncos can make right now. Jets in the shutout, and please bench Russell Wilson and yeah. let him get healthy. Amen. You know, we knew he had the lad issue. Now there's a knee issue as well with Wilson. Sit him down. Get You've got no chance this season if you don't get him back on track. Uh, and that's what he needs, whether it's physical rest, whether it's mental rest. I don't know what it is. He probably doesn't know what it is. But don't wait until the bye week. You know, um, if you got to take one, you got to take one this week. No doubt about it. I'm in a full agreement. Get Russell Wilson healthy. Um, Jets on the road. You know, if I was looking for an upset special, there's no reason the Broncos should win at home. But like we saw, um, you know, with Jacksonville against Indianapolis, sometimes a young team after a big win, they can, uh, you know, Kind of get into that. Yeah, I don't need to practice this week. We're four and two. I don't. He's gonna throw our helmets out on the field. They'll run away scared. Um, you know that's always a huge risk. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm picking the Jets to win it, but I think the Broncos gonna put a little scare into them. So we'll call it Jets winning, but 20 to 19 is all. Oh boy, how we shall see. And the Raiders coming off the bye. The one and four Raiders with four losses by a combined 16 points hosting the Texans. The Raiders get back on track here. The Texans may have some good pieces on offense with uh, Damian Pierce and on defense with uh, Derek Stingley Jr. and Jalen Petrie. But the Raiders have been the victims of bad luck so far this year. And they put together a five to six game winning streak uh starting this sunday as we predicted last week i like the raiders yeah i mean houston you know that defense has been a surprise this year uh they've played a lot better than a lot of people expected um you know especially after that very rough first week of the season against the colts which they somehow turned into a tie but should have been a loss so um houston i think they'll they'll put up a fight but yeah i think we're gonna start seeing the i i like the way you're thinking there Dave, david with vegas uh getting some wins here the dice are gonna start uh you know uh, no more snake eyes coming up for Vegas. They're going to get some 7 and 11s here. So uh, let's give them the win. I'm going to say feisty Houston. Keep it close. But Vegas 23, Houston 17. The Seahawks and Geno Smith coming off a victory led by their defense. Their promising young defense. That is with Tariq Woolen and Kobe Bryant, oh my God, two rookie corners, a not named Sauce Connor that are playing very well. It's those two. Definitely. And oh my God, and uh, 
and Kenneth Walker Jr. in that running game. Uh, this is a transcendental draft class to Seahawks, Scott, and they're going to only add to it uh, in the coming spring. They traveled to the SoFi State to take on a team that you are very lukewarm about in the Chargers. Do you think the Seahawks can either shut down Justin Herbert on defense like the Broncos did or go toe-to-toe with Justin Herbert with Geno Smith and Geno pulling off the upset? I do, David. I think it's not going to be the shutting down option. I still don't trust that Seattle defense. Um, I like some of those pieces. I think they're growing together well. But, uh, yeah, uh, Herbert's going to get his. But, uh, you know, let's talk about Geno. And like I said at the top of the show, Coaching matters in the NFL, and the Seahawks have a huge advantage coaching this week. I'm going to give it to the Seahawks, 38 to 35. This is going to be one of those fun games in the afternoon. Coaching matters, but quarterbacks matter more. And as good, if not great, as Geno Smith has been this year, Justin Herbert is a transcendental talent, and I trust him to just pick apart that inconsistent Seahawks defense and the Chargers to find success running the ball against this defense as well. I like the Chargers in this game, 34 to 27. And on Sunday night, Tua Tungavoiloa back into action against the Steelers. Uh, the Dolphins are going to be helped big time in the long run with Tua's return, but a couple things. Uh, Teron Armstead might not play this game. And the drop-off from Kim to the rest of those Dolphins offensive tackles is massive. And even without T.J. Watt, the, the Steelers uh, showed they can get pressure uh, on a quarterback. And I think Cameron Hayward is going to be a nightmare for the interior of that Dolphins offensive line. And I'm not sure Tua, uh, as athletic as he is, I'm not sure he has the athleticism to avoid that kind of interior rush. And I think the Dolphins are rushing him back too soon from that concussion. I think he's going to be rusty. And give me the Steelers in this game, for crying out loud. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you here, David. You know, I, I think I'm, I'm, you know, it should be Miami, but same situation. Are they rushing to a back? Is he going to be rusty? Um, you know, a strong pass rush. In Pittsburgh, no doubt about it. Is he going to be a little gun shy back there in his first game back? I don't know how he couldn't be, uh, to tell you the truth. And, you know, Pittsburgh might struggle to score enough points to pull out the W, but they definitely can run with the Dolphins this week. I don't have any doubt about it. And, you know, speaking of running, the Dolphins, that running game, uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta start incorporating that running game. Uh, you can't throw it all on the quarterback like they've been doing so far this year. Um, that's one of the surprises for me. I expected more out of the Dolphins uh, running game. They seem like a pass, 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 pass team. And that's going to catch up to you here in the NFL. You can't be one dimensional. They've been one dimensional. Um, and you can't be one-dimensional against a Mike Tomlin team. That's for sure. So Pittsburgh 24, Dolphins 20. Sound the simpatico alert. I'm with you, David. I'm with you this week. It is always good when we are simpatico, Hal. And last but not least for week seven, 
The Chicago Bears traveling to Foxborough on Monday night to take on your Patriots. And Benjamin Solak, an amazing football mind, one of the brightest football minds I've ever encountered. He covers the NFL for the ringer. Uh, he tweeted out today that he doesn't see the Patriots allowing the Bears to score a single oh. point based on all the good things Bill Belichick said about them. And given how unwatchable the Bears have been on offense, I agree. The Jets are going to shut out the Broncos. The Patriots are going to shut out the Bears. Patriots all the way. Oh, David, I, you know, I always try to set up my bold predictions with one of my picks. So this is going to be my bold prediction pick um, here. So let me just give you the final. And then let me know when you're ready for the bold prediction. But final score, Chicago 2, New England 0. Oh, my goodness. And how... Do the Bears get that safety hell in our bowl predictions? All right. <laughs> Let me tell you, it is a little bit of a history lesson here, David. So for people who don't know what the Patriots were before they were the Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, New England Patriots, the Patriots were banned by town of Foxborough officials where they play from Monday night football for 14 years from 1981 until 1995, the town of Foxborough would not allow them to play on Monday night football. This was due to uh, an epic matchup against the Cowboys in 1981. Patriots blew the, a big lead in the fourth quarter against the Cowboys. Um, the fans who had been uh, sitting around Foxborough, let me tell you, I live right outside of Foxborough. There's nothing to do in Foxborough but sit in the parking lot and drink and eat. So these fans uh, might have went a little crazy, might have taken over Route 1, um, might have had some problems for the poor residents of Foxborough. So, um, you know, there were hundreds of fights in the stands that night between Cowboy fans who had traveled to New England for the game and the Patriots fans. So it, it, was, it was a nightmare. So um, Patriots, you know, the dynasty's over right now. Uh, you know, the, the, the tickets aren't as hot a deal as you want. Season ticket holders, ugh, cold Monday night in October against the Bears. They're giving those away to, you know, the guys at the donut shop. The, the true New England Patriots fans are going to be back for this game against the Bears. And hundreds of fights, public drunkenness. The Patriots leading 34 to six in the second half. I got to have to forfeit the game as the field overruns Gillette Stadium. I don't know. Fires in the stands, whatever. Um, it's going to be uh, the only way the Bears can pull out a win. And in the NFL, a forfeited game counts as a two to nothing game. Wipe out that 34 to six lead for the Patriots. Bears two, Patriots nothing. That is the boldest prediction I have ever, <laughs> ever heard. Oh, my goodness, Hal. Oh, boy. If that happens, you have to get a lifelong psychic award. That's all there is to it. All right. My bold prediction, we go to the Cowboys. I said the Cowboys would win 31-21. I should have said 42-21, and here's why. It is returned. Dak Prescott against that atrocious Lions defense has seven total touchdowns 
five passing and two running in his return. That is my bold prediction. How about that? I like it. I like it. I like it. Uh, yeah, well, still nowhere near as bold as what you predicted, Hal. <laughs> and if you're right, like I said, oh, you, you're a psychic. That's all there is to it. And last but not least, as always on this program during the NFL season, we issue our challenge flags. I will go first here. Tampa Bay Bucks and Green Bay Packers, you have get right games staring you straight in the face. Just do not play down your competition and you will find yourselves back on track and back in the hunt for another Super Bowl. That is my challenge flag. Hal, what about yours? For me, you know, I, I could make it a, a, a weekly tradition and call out, you know, Luke Getzky, Matt Eberflus, Ryan Poles and say, don't destroy. Please don't destroy the franchise quarterback. Please don't destroy your franchise quarterback. But that would get kind of boring here. So, uh, you know, we'll stay away from the Justin Fields conversation here for my challenge flag. But I'll, I'll keep it in the NFC North. And as you just tie it into your bold prediction, Dan Campbell, your Lions are one and four. You're four, 17 and one. And um, the road is not looking much easier for you uh, it's time to start gutting out some wins it's find, time to start finding ways to win games um, you know looked like an exciting team last year um, this year atrocious defense offense which looked so great took a nosedive right before the bye um, you got the cowboys in dallas Next week is Miami, Green Bay, uh, you know, at the Bears, you might have a win there, but Giants, not a walkover anymore. Bills, Jags, Vikings, this schedule is not lining up well for the Lions right now. And another three or four win season is going to get Dan Campbell on the hot seat. So Dan Campbell, light that fire under your team. It's time to stop being one of those dogs we can bet on. Stop pulling out some W's here, finding a way to win. Um, maybe I don't think neither one of us think they're going to do it this week against Dallas, but I'd really, really rooting for Detroit to try. And you got to start showing a better product on the field, Dan Campbell. So you've got my challenge flag this week. He is Hal Bent, ladies and gentlemen, of full press coverage. Follow him on Twitter at HalBent01. Hal, thank you so much once again. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But we'll be back next week to recap week seven, preview week eight, and discuss all the latest news and notes from around the National Football League. So stay tuned. Meanwhile, be sure to follow me on Twitter at dcrom 59 as well as on Instagram and now TikTok at Sports Crunch with dcrom. And remember, that's Crunch with AK. For Hal Bet, this is David Cromwell, and as always, please choose love, please choose kindness, please choose compassion, please choose selflessness, please choose empathy, and whatever your opinion on the state of our country is, please, and I mean please, do not forget to vote by November 8th. Until next time, cats and kittens, stay cool. Stay cool.